sign up. Love Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there So let's talk about it Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. I'm your host. This is MJ Network. MJ stands for my sister, Marcia Joyce, that started me off on this, and I miss her every day. We have the author of Enemies of Doves, and this is a really fantastic book. The author takes us down, leads us down paths of several at the end, and we learn the truth and the mystery of the title, Enemies of Doves. Of course, there are some people, doves are unique and usually in pairs, and some people actually are afraid of them. So we have the author here, Shanisa. Hi, good morning. How are you? And welcome to MJ Network. Good morning, Fran. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh, what a pleasure. Now, this was interesting. Um, this story takes place in two time periods. It then flashes back to the present, to the from 1941 to 1991. How do you create something in two time periods and let it blend so that everybody follows the plot on both sides? I did a lot of outlining. It can be complicated for sure. So um, you, I just had to keep two separate outlines basically and, and see where they could merge together and make sure I didn't give anything away too soon in one timeline that needed to be revealed in the other. So just really heavy outlining helped me to, to keep it all straight. That, that's amazing because a lot of people, I've read books in more than one timeline. I've read uh-huh. too many books probably in a lot of timelines. <laughs> So they so they tell me, yeah, too many, and um, <laughs> yours yours is one of the few I could follow. So it well, flashes to, to nineteen ninety one, and Garrison mm-hmm. is interesting, and we meet Amber. I wasn't crazy about her, and um, right. so she's she's got her own agenda in mind. How does she try to manipulate him and place barriers when he's always trying to do? Because how did you create that first scene? know between Joel and Clancy and what really happens that set the tone for the story okay well the um, the opening scene in the hospital I just wanted something that was compelling that would leave um, the readers with a lot of questions I wanted them to wonder what happened to Joel did his brother hurt him I'd originally had mm-hmm. this as the second scene of the book and I had it opening with Garrison in 1991 talking to Joel in prison but I just felt like this would be more compelling I just wanted a scene that set up the mystery of the book and left a lot of questions it certainly did. It certainly left a lot of them. And a lot of people, mm-hmm. well, sometimes people do have a problem with, with things in two timelines, but not not this mm-hmm. one. So I suggest if you didn't read this, you should really read it, because I said so. Yeah, I've had, a lot uh, of, I've had a lot of reviews say that they normally didn't like two timelines, but they did like this one and they could follow it. So that made me happy. I didn't realize it. That it was. Um, I like books in two timelines. That's a lot of what I read. So I didn't realize that a lot of people don't enjoy that. But I'm glad that they were able to follow and enjoy my book in spite of that. Well, you know, this one I did enjoy. But to be honest, when when they get them, when the when the chapters start with a person's name each time, I go like, help me. Um, right. 
<laughs> that, that, that gets on my like, help me, please. So we have 1941 and then, and we have 1991. Garrison, why does he want to find Clancy? Why, why is he so bent on it? And all she wants to do is marry the poor guy. Right. I think that um, for Garrison, he just he's family oriented, and I think he's you yeah. know he's been through trauma. He's lost his parents, and now he's got his grandmother, and she's you know got dementia, and he's losing her yeah. as well. And you know, and she lets this secret slip, and he hopes it's true that maybe. The, he has a, another family that um, that Clancy's his actual grandfather, not the man he thought he, that was his grandfather. So he's really just searching out that family connection. And I think Amber doesn't really understand that. I think that she's she's got a good family network, and she she should be enough for him, and that should be enough for him. And and doesn't really understand the importance for him personally to have a family of his own. Well, she's not right for him anyway, so that's okay. Right, and right. He's she's gonna, not. And he's, yeah, and you can't manipulate this guy, so what can I say? Amber, take a hot <laughs> pill. Take a chill pill. So, right. how and why did you pair him up <laughs> with Molly? I like Molly. Well, my mother had yeah. Alzheimer's, so I do know. I've dealt with that for eight years. That was mm-hmm. a joy, let me yeah. tell you. It was hard, mm-hmm. yeah. So, how does he meet Molly? Um, Garrison meets Molly. Um, he's actually, you know, looking into some research at a library about about Clancy and Joel, and and um, he meets Molly there because she's also interested in the the mystery, but for a different reason. Um, she believes that Joel is in prison wrongly, and she's in a class, a justice class, and she's trying to to find violation in the trial and and find proof of that. So that's how they meet up, because they both have a shared interest. Um, he's looking, of course, for Clancy, and um, she's trying to, to free Joel, but they are hand-in-hand, hand, so they can share each other's research and help each other along with their paths. And she wants to meet the guy. Mm, scary. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we, have the cause of the, we have the cause of the problem, Tom Fritchett. And mm-hmm. I've dealt with, I've dealt with, as an educator, I've dealt with parents that were abusive. Uh, so I know this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's scary. So why was he so cruel yeah. to his sons, and why didn't they ever just, like, stand up to this man and stop him? Why right. were they so afraid? He was horrible. Ooh. He, yes, he was. Um, I think he was harsh, and I think in his own mind, like like many abusive parents may think, like, they're they're just doing what they were taught. They're just making their kids into men or whatever, and I think that's what he thought he was doing, but he was actually really harming both of them. And as far as why they didn't stand up to him, I think, you know, of course, his children, that's common that they don't. And, and as adults, at the beginning of the story, anyway, I think that Joel was just a pleaser. And Joel just wanted to have felt the obligation to take care of his family. And um, so that's why he didn't really stand up. He, he saw he wanted approval from his father. He wanted a relationship with his father. And as far as Clancy, I think he didn't put forth much of an effort, but he's just not the type to make waves. He just kind of wanted to keep the peace. He's wrapped up in his own life at the beginning. And so, um, Mm. of course, they have confrontation with him later, but I think that they were just kind of status quo going through and and never addressing, you know, the childhood they had and the problems they had because of it. Well, I know from teaching, from working with with, um, parents that are abusive, the scary part is sometimes their children become that way too when they grow up. That's what's even scarier. Mm-hmm. They carry it over because I figured my yeah, my parents could do it. That that's horrible. And and the scary mm-hmm. part is I reported child abuse. I didn't even in, the, in all the years I'm there quite a few times, and the scary part was I was never wrong. That was even worse. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have no choice. I work in education so. too, so you you can definitely tell. You see, you see the signs. Yeah, you have you have no choice, and if you don't, then you then it's your fault. That's bad. Right. So exactly. So go back to 1941, and we learned about mm-hmm. Clancy has a gambling problem. So who is Crawl, and why did he blackmail him? I don't like that character. It, no, sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, Crawl was a. He's a career criminal, kind of a local scum who um, he mm-hmm. makes his living by um, betting, you know, sports bets and also drug dealing. And um, there's, of course, more to the story um, about Clancy yep. and Crawl and Dole. But, yeah, he's um, – and Clancy, we, you know, it seems Clancy has a gambling problem. He's losing a lot of money to Crawl because the first time we ever meet Crawl is when – when uh, Joel, Clancy's brother, is going to pay off Clancy's debt, and we learn this hasn't been the first time this has happened. So, so obviously Clancy has, um, you know, makes a lot of dealings with this man. He doesn't stop. He's relentless, this guy. Right. So then mm-hmm. we go yep, back he's, to 19. He's, not, he's horrible. Oh, my. <laughs> There's a lot more about him. People are not telling you anything. Can't you have to read it. <laughs> So we go back mm-hmm. to 1991. I actually have little nuggets in my questions here. So Garrison begins searching for Clancy, and Molly agrees to share the information with him. Mm-hmm. And they they team up sort of. But why does Joel? Why does they think that Joel is innocent of whatever he did that got him in jail? Which is interesting. Right. I think that um, she's done. Molly has done research on this for her class, and she's been interested in it for years. And the reader will learn in the story why she's interested in it and where it all began. But basically, she's someone who values justice, who's interested in the criminal justice system, and she just doesn't feel like he got a fair shake. And so she's just kind of become obsessed with, with finding her big break by finding out, like by letting the information come out, the truth about what really happened. Well, a lot of reporters are like that. A lot of people are mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. That's just sad. I think well, she wants, I think it's, Right, I think I think it's a lot of meaning. She wants the, she values the truth, and she wants to find out. But also, she thinks you know this may be, this could get me. You know, she's gonna. She wants to be a journalist. That's you know, her her actual goal. So, I think it it could further her career. It could really propel her career if she was able to get an innocent man freed. Of course, that's true. But wait till they see what happens. Can't tell you that. <laughs> right. So we have who is Kate Montgomery. And who is mm-hmm. Dorothy? And how many girls did Clancy have? My God, and Lorraine. I like <laughs> Lorraine, though. I really like Lorraine. I'm glad you do. I, you know, we'll talk about that later, but I've had so many people in the review say they didn't like Lorraine, and she's my very favorite. But anyway, um, I love yeah, Lorraine. Montgomery, <laughs> thank you. I'm so glad. Yeah, Katie Montgomery, she's a childhood friend of Joel and Clancy. And um, she was present at their home that the night that, you know, the story opens up and, and Joel's in a hospital and he's, he's got a scar yeah. on his face and neither boy will talk about it. Well, she was there that night. And so um, when searching police records, Garrison comes across her name and decides he can reach out to her to maybe ask some questions. And as far as um, Dorothy, Dorothy is Garrison's grandmother, but there's also a tie in the in the backstory to her. Um, she had a relationship mm-hmm. with Clancy before my story begins. Um, the first time we meet Clancy in Enemies of Doves, he's thinking about a girl that he's been seeing. So I don't name her, but that would be Dorothy. And she's moving, and she had suggested they get married, and he's just not very serious about her because he's just not very serious about any girl at this point. And originally in the book I had another chapter 
before that where Clancy mm. actually meets Dorothy. I had that I had that in the story. Um, she was a customer at the station. Clancy was running late as always, and Joel was told he needed to go help her. Well, Joel sees Dorothy, and she he thinks she's beautiful, but he's very nervous to talk to her. He's very self-conscious. So Clancy arrives just about that time, and he tries to encourage Joel, go talk to her, and Joel won't. And so Clancy goes out and helps her. And later that night, Clancy is, like, shoving Joel, Joel into his room because he's bringing a girl over, and that girl is Dorothy. And so that kind of set up some more conflict between Clancy and Joel because this was a common thing, you know, where maybe Joel mm-hmm. thought a girl was great or liked her, but she ended up with Clancy. And so that scene got cut because it really wasn't important to my story. Dorothy was kind of a, you know, a side a side character, but I've actually had a reader since then say she'd be interested in hearing Dorothy's point of view, her story, you know, before and after. But, but in this book it didn't make it. So all that was important about her was that she was Garrison's grandmother. She did have a relationship with Clancy, and she, you know, that's what kind of propelled Garrison's journey. And um, But the details of it weren't that important to the plot. Um, it was just important to know that Clancy had a lot of girls in and out of his life. He was never really serious mm-hmm. about any of them until Lorraine. And Lorraine and him, they had a connection from the start, which and it wasn't just physical, which was different for Clancy. I really like Lorraine, though, and there was a conflict there because he clear, he teams up with Lorraine, and how does Joel feel about that? He wasn't too happy. Right, um, right. Clancy meets Lorraine at the at the service station where he and Joel both work, and um, they have you know they have a conversation, and later she shows up at at their home looking for Clancy, but he's not there, and she meets Joel. Um, she and Joel also have a connection, I think, but whenever Clancy shows up, she leaves on a date with him. And so Joel is extremely jealous, and he feels that Clancy's only going to hurt her. And I think he senses there may have been a little connection there, too. And in his mind, Clancy mm-hmm. gets everyone everything, and this is this is kind of a new feeling for him. And so that sets up conflict, more conflict between these brothers who already have a lot of conflict. So. It's bad when you like the same person. Not good. Right. Right. And and I and Lorraine was a was a fun character to write for me. She um she changed like from how I anticipated her to be. I, I thought she'd be a more minor character. I didn't plan on her being a point of view character. I didn't plan on her being almost, you know, the character the kind of outspoken and funky character that she is. But she just came to life for me when I was writing. She just changed completely and so that's why I think I really like her and identified with her. You know, I mean, she has flaws, as they all do, but overall I thought she was a really great character. Well, I liked her because she's got a big mouth and says what's on her mind, like I do. Yes. And she doesn't <laughs> hesitate, which is which is seriously me. I go like, this is really good. Don't hold back, Lorraine. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> the, Let them have it. Mm-hmm. The, the title really gets us. Why are people afraid of doves? They're so pretty. And why does Clint... Clancy think they trigger bad things. I mean, well, we we have birds that are endangered here. I really mm-hmm. like to danger them, but I can't. And this morning <laughs> there was a crow, and I don't like crows. They scare you. Uh-huh. This black thing is uh-huh. driving. I'm like, like, get away from me, Elvis Jr. Whatever. So why are the people afraid of doves, and why do they think they they trigger bad luck? And they're so pretty. Right. Though. Right, and you know, um, I think that some people are just a lot of people are just scared of birds in general. Just um, but yeah. I think in in the book, and Clancy and Joel, I mean, they had their their. I think the reader learns figures out pretty early on that that whatever happened on that night when they were children involved does, mm-hmm. and 
so that's kind of left that traumatic memory with them. And as far as them thinking it triggers bad things, well, for Clancy, he can point to all these different points in his life where something tragic happened and he saw a dove. Well, I mean, in in reality, there was probably doves during good parts of his life, too. But because he's got that, he's looking for them during the bad because he associates it with bad, so he's going to see them. So I think it was just kind of a superstition on his part that, that doves, because of that childhood memory side. So there's such a power in our childhood memories and our experiences. So I think mm. that kind of, Joel and Clancy anyway, that made them fear birds, in, in particular doves. I love birds. Birds are so pretty, though. But mm-hmm. I like birds, too. And you'll be you'll be I, sad to know that my second book is about crows, so... Oh, Since good. You I you don't like them. Have done. Thank you so much for telling me. I, I have, yeah, no, but um, I don't like them. I don't like them either, but they're they're interesting birds for sure. Yeah, they can create a lot of havoc and nightmares and murders and stuff like that. That's good. Exactly. Um, I yes, exactly. Yeah, well, I had a bird when I was younger too, and he used to sit on my sit on uh, in in the in his cage, and while I played the piano, he used to sing along with me. He used to play Aww. chirp and everything. And then yeah. when he died, there was nobody to listen. I was so sad. It was really sad. <laughs> and, was, and his name was Happy because he was happy. Oh. <laughs> so who oh. is Earl Rogers, and how does he enlighten both Garrison and Molly? What does he tell them? I like that guy, by the okay. way. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was fun. Um, Earl Rogers, he was the... Uh, um, he was a good friend of the boy's father, Tom, and he was also their boss at the service station that they worked in. And I had a few scenes of, with Earl when he was younger, when he was when the boys were younger, um, but those got mm. cut from my book when I got the first editor because I had way too many words. But um, he, what, what his importance was in the rest of the story is that he had some information that he was able to give um, Garrison and Molly when they went to visit him. He was in a nursing home. And he still was a sharp, had a sharp memory, and he was able to tell them. Um, he confirmed Molly's belief that um, Joel was innocent, um, and it's clear that he doesn't remember Clancy very fondly. So he shares that, and he what he does tell Garrison is that he looks like Clancy, and that is just the information that Garrison needs to really push him along towards his goal. I think he was never totally sure because his grandmother, you know, she was saying all kinds of outrageous things, so maybe there was no truth to this at all. But having that confirmation, someone say, yeah, you look like him, that really was much needed for Garrison at that point in the story. Yeah, that would that would send me wondering, too. So, right. let's get back to my favorite character. Lorena oh, Times right. is strong, and at times you wonder why she bothers to deal with Joel and Clancy and his father. Why is she so loyal, and what did her what do her parents think about this? Okay, See, that was my mother and father. He would have been out, both of them. Forget it. <laughs> right. Seriously. Um, I think that I think that Lorraine's a very strong character, and I think she feels things very deeply, including her love for Clancy and Joel. So I think therein lies her loyalty, even when they were, you know, really. Difficult. I think she feels a loyalty to them because of her strong feelings. Um, she can certainly be selfish as a character, but when push comes to shove, I mean, she's willing to step up, and she was willing to leave both of them behind at one point to start over alone. And as far as her parents,
parents. I, you know, I had thought about making them not supportive, and I just thought that was that's done a lot in books, you know, like the the rich mm-hmm. yeah. family and the the poor boy, and they're not going to support. So I just decided that her parents would be um, supportive of Lorraine. I think they have valid concerns about her relationship, but ultimately they they're the type of parents they just want her to be happy. And um, her father does share some concerns throughout the book at different times, but but he never tries to control her life. And as the reader learns, they they eventually end up keeping the secrets of the Fitchett brothers for the rest of their lives, out of love for their daughter. So that 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 that's true. So mm-hmm. Amber is on her way out, which is good because yes. she doesn't belong there. It was overdue. But, yes. <laughs> so tell us. I like Dolly, by the way. But she reminded me Thank of my you. mother because at times that mm-hmm. my mother was very lucid. You'd be surprised right. what these people can remind. She wasn't always out to lunch, and then there were times that she would come up with something, and I'd look at her and go, like, "Excuse me, you said what?" Um, mm-hmm. You never knew what they were. You never knew what kind of language she was going to use either. It was interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for right. someone that never used bad language, she taught me a few words too. Um, <laughs> so tell us about Dolly. What does she relate before she goes back into her her own world? Mhm. Um. So she's kept, you know, she's kept a secret her whole life too about who the father was of her oldest daughter and yeah. um, Garrison, who's Garrison's mother. And as she's, you know, she's in and out, like you said. And um, she tells um, Garrison that Clancy um, is his grandfather. And um, yeah, like I said, I've had a reader recently tell me they'd love a book more about her. Um, it got me thinking about more of her as a character when I was told that we don't really know much about her because she's already in the throes of dementia. When enemies yeah. of does begin, and and I wrote this. I mean, I didn't have much experience with with dementia. It was just basically it started as a plot point. But you know, when I um something personal, this book, um, my grandmother was my first reader and editor, and she helped me just all through the book. And and by the time it came out, she also has dementia now. So um, mm-hmm. that became it went from being just like a plot in the book to me to like getting really close to home and seeing the reality of it when you love someone and, and you're losing them in this way. So um, it kind of like my life imitated my fiction there. So I do have a better understanding of it now than I did when I even wrote the book. My mother knew she had it. It was scary. Did One she? day she just said to me, "Wow, yeah, she sat down with me and she said, I can't remember half of what I'm supposed to remember. And the scary part was we were driving and she made, this is a true story, she made a uh, U-turn in the middle of traffic, went down a one-way street, and wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and we got stopped by three cops. I thought, oh, my God. We got surrounded, actually. Wow. And, wow, yeah. yeah. It was scary. She had eight violations, and we managed to get out of all of them. She never got a ticket. Nope. They felt sorry for me. Wow. That. And I told her, <laughs> yeah, I said, and I looked at my sister. I said, it's about time we take the keys away. My mother had five pairs of keys. She went to hide all of them, literally. Mm-hmm. So you, you never right. know what they're going to do. Yeah. So we go back right. to 1941. Which is way before I was born, people. And how did you create <laughs> Christmas with Lorraine and her family? And what does Joel do there? In the past, we learned that Clancy and Lorraine uh, asked Lorraine to get married, and he goes to the army mm-hmm. instead. I mean, how rude is that? Mm-hmm. So it cha- changes their right. relationships. Why does she push him towards Joel? Okay. Um, well, as far as Christmas with Lorraine's family, I knew uh, just yeah. from writing Lorraine's character, I decided she would like holidays and especially Christmas. So I wanted mm-hmm. to do a scene at Christmas. I think that um, she desperately wanted, like, a normal Christmas. Um, 
after the news of Pearl Harbor, even though, you know, it was on everyone's mind. I think it was the perfect setting for, for Clancy to propose, but of course, you know, we writers know that we can't let our characters stay happy for very long, so we have to make it all no. go wrong. And so I'm um, enter Joel, and I think um, that Joel had a little too much to drink that Christmas, and that was a perfect outlet for him to share feelings that he normally would never share and to do something he normally wouldn't do, which is try to sabotage Clancy's proposal because it was important for Clancy that his dad and brother be there for the proposal, and Joel knew that, and Joel sabotaged it. So um, that was the importance of the Christmas scene. And, um, yeah, so Clancy does eventually propose, and then he decides to enlist. And um, I think that, um, you know, like most young American men living during that time, Clancy wanted to enlist from the start, from the the minute Pearl Harbor Mm -hmm. happened. I think Lorraine was the only reason he didn't, because he was in this relationship with her. He had already got a ring. He was going to propose to her. And I think eventually, um, I know we know that Lorraine um, is, you know, a bit selfish, and she doesn't understand that that need to go do that. And Joel is also not happy with his brother going. And so I think they both share this worry over Clancy, and that's what in the beginning pushes them together. Or they think, you know, we're just we're just here because we both miss Clancy because we're both worried about Clancy. But the more time they spend together, I think the more, you know, their feelings grow. I don't think Clancy ever imagined. That I mean, he asked Joel to look out for Lorraine. I don't think he ever imagined that it would end up where Joel and Lorraine had feelings for each other because he always mm-hmm. counted his brother out, kind of, and, and I think you know assumed that that his his relationship with Lorraine was nothing could penetrate it. Um, so I think it's hard for Joel because he has a loyalty mm-hmm. to Clancy, uh, to his brother, but he also is experiencing feelings he's never felt before, and Clancy has had you know, girlfriends his whole life, and this is new for Joel. And so it's hard for him to let that go in spite of what, you know, he knows it's his brother's fiance. He knows they love each other, but he's there's still those feelings there, and that's hard to let go of, especially when it's the first time you're feeling it. I know, and then he really wants what his brother had, so it makes it hard. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I didn't yes. have to go through that. My sister got married at 17, and that was the end of that. So I'll have problems. <laughs> No, he's great. He was. Um, so, in 1991, how does Garrison blend into Molly's family and life? And who is Lee and who is Ray? Hmm. I think that uh, Garrison fits in with Molly's day-to-day life with her brother and her grandfather, who's Ray. Um, Ray tries to, it seems he's trying to kind of push Garrison and Molly together, even when Garrison's still in a relationship with Amber, which um, eventually ends. But, yeah, he's trying to push them together. I think Garrison is He's a little uncomfortable with that, and um, there's just something about Ray that doesn't sit right with Garrison. But but yeah. overall, they they get along and they they actually live under the same roof for a time, and and you know all is well. So Garrison thinks, but there's definitely something about Ray that it just bugs him. Bug me too. I don't like him. <laughs> definitely mm-hmm. slimy. I usually pick it out right. So tell us about mm-hmm. Carl and how he he haunts everyone throughout the novel, even even right. Joel. I mean, really, he's like got a hold on everybody, even if he's not around, or even if right. you're not able to see him. Why is that? He's scary. Yeah, I I, I wanted to make him that way. He kind of have a lot of power over people, and and sometimes yeah, you does. can wonder, well, why did they even why did they even do it? What he says or what? But you know, they're scared of him and fear 
They 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 all have fear of him for different reasons. But um, he's got charisma in spite of being a criminal. So he's got local law enforcement kind of in his pocket. They they turn a blind eye to him. They don't really they don't really bother with him. And he's a probably extremely superstitious. And he has no problem taking other people's lives, which makes him just a frightening character in general. And he's got a history, of course, with um, with a lot of people, and especially the Fitchett brothers. And that's what's important to the story is is his his tie to them, which the reader learns about as the story progresses more and more. I know. The 1941 was interesting, especially you know some of the scenes, the history and stuff like that. But 1991, uh-huh. you know. Why did, why did before? I, why did you pick those two years? By the way, I know there was Pearl Harbor and stuff like that, but why mm-hmm. did you pick those two years? Um, well, I picked for, yeah, World War Two. I've always been interested in. Um, I've, I read a lot of historical fiction set in that time, and also my my grandfather, my late grandfather, he fought in World War Two, and he used to tell mm-hmm. us all kinds of colorful stories about it. And so I just always kind of been fascinated with that time in history. So I thought, yeah, I would like to set it there. Because I knew a little bit about it, so I still had to do a lot of research, but I had a base for it. And then, as far as the current timeline, black, well, I, I kind of had to go forward so many years, and then I was trying to choose between, you know, should it be in the 2000s, should it be, and I decided on the 90s because I'm a child of the 90s. I grew up in the 90s, so it just kind of like that was I, I lived it, so I didn't have to do a lot of research, and it was fun just for me to remember. I set it in a place, um, Carthage in Longview, Texas. I spent my childhood summers there, visiting my grandparents. And so, and I was there during the 90s. So it just was kind of, you know, it was a way for me to go back to my memories and to, you know, that, those locations in my mind. And so it was just a fun way to do that for me as far as setting it in the 90s as well. Well, that makes it more realistic, too, because you lived it and you can actually know where, where you were. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, too. So. Right. And it's, I mean, anytime you read, anytime you're doing a book, then a different time, it involves research. Yeah. I mean, even, yeah. and even in the 90s, um, I still had to do some research, like not as much as I would have if I hadn't lived during it. But, you know, like, um, I'm, I was a child, so I didn't think about it. But I had to ask my mom, well, like, what did you do if you didn't know a phone number? Because you couldn't just Google it, you know? Like, you know, and you didn't, if you needed to get a phone number, like, obviously in your town there's a phone book, but what if I need someone's number in North Dakota? What do I do, you know? So she had to be like, oh, you called directory assistants and operator. So even things like that from the 90s that I didn't remember as a kid because I never had to do, you know, finding a number out of state or even things about, yeah. like, prison, the prison that it was set in. Like, I had to go get do a lot of research into that as well that I didn't expect. So even with the 90s there was some research, but when you at least I had the baseline for it, I kind of knew the feel of it, the the pop culture, the music, the, the clothing. So that helped make the research a little bit less. Well, my mother had a dial phone, not the digital phone, mm-hmm. the kind you had a literally okay. dial. And and she also yeah. told me she had mm-hmm. a party line, too. So you never knew who you were going to get mm-hmm. on the other end of the phone. So yeah, that party line. How, how did you interesting. deal with that? Oh, yeah. my God, that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I learned that, too, when I was researching for the 1941, the party lines, because, you know, they shared a line with each other. So I'm like, how did you know the call was for you? And, you know, there were certain kind of rings, and you had to listen for it, and Uh you could just pick up and hear other people's conversation. Yeah, that was new information to me. So I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to include that in the book, you know, a little bit about it. So, yeah, that was interesting. Now, that's the fun part, my mother said. (laughs) You never, you never, (laughs) I I said, what did you, what did you learn that I don't know about? (laughs) Seriously. Oh man, there's some good, yeah, some good story ideas from that. I'm sure, you know, <laughs> we could yeah, listen to other people's phone calls. 
I know. Good so material. tell us why Molly <laughs> wanted to speak to Mr. Nevins. Who is Mr. Nevins? Uh, uh, Mr. Nevins is the janitor that um, is at her oh, old elementary school. Yeah, Garrison and and Molly decide to to take a day trip to Carthage, which is a small town that mm-hmm. that the Fitcher brothers grew up in, and also Molly grew up in. So um, while they're there, they visit Molly's old elementary school and maybe wondering if there's any records of if Joel and Clancy went there. And and the school is closed for summer already, but um, Mr. Nevins, the janitor, the former janitor, he's he's there. He goes there every day to eat lunch at the elementary school. So Garrison and and Molly gets to talking to them, and she and she decides to ask him if he remembers the Fisher brothers. So that's that's and, as important to the story. And if he does, he was um, he was the janitor when they were in elementary school as well. When when the incident happened that led hmm. to his car, he's he's able to shed some some light there, some personal firsthand experiences of of what happened during that time. Well, that's what I did when I wrote my first book. Cause my sister conned me into doing. She said, you're going to write, because my mother was, so I had Alzheimer's. I weighed 200 pounds at one time. I weigh 108 pounds now. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was eating myself into oblivion. She said, well, why don't you write about what you know about it? I said, you're going to be sorry you said that. I wrote about growing <laughs> up in the South Bronx with her, and I asked my mother certain things about her and whatever, and I got her good. Trust me. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you, you, yep. you know, good it's, to get it's amazing. Good information. Well, mm-hmm. that's sometimes that's the only way to get it. So Clancy writes right. to Lorraine, and she's drawn to mm-hmm. Joel. So how does he come to her side, and when in, when she's in trouble? Mm-hmm. Because she, I think, she like I she's said, not, I love her. I really like her, but I didn't want her to get in trouble. But he has no choice to help her. Right, right. He does it. I mean, like I said, they had a connection from their first meeting, and I um I think that um she's. They're both worried about Clancy, and so they understand each other. Um, the more time that, that they spend together, feelings grow. And Clancy's been gone for years, and people change and grow, you know, especially during the, yeah. when you're growing up from being 17 years old to 20. I mean, things change. And so I think she had a kind of a wild young love for Clancy, but I think maybe her feelings were a little deeper for Joel, and I think she loved mm-hmm. him in different ways. So. Um, she, I think that's why she's drawn to Joel. Um, it's just she's grown up a little bit and she's been near him. And as far as her being in trouble, yeah, he comes to rescue her because Crawl starts causing trouble for her because mm-hmm. Crawl finds out that, you know, the brothers care about her, so that's an easy target. And so, yeah, yeah. he comes to her rescue and Crawl starts sneaking in her room and just, you know, kind of messing with her mind. And so, um, yeah, and then, of course, when Joel comes to her rescue and Joel becomes a protector, I think that just that further bonds them even more. I know, that's, I don't like Clan Crawl. Terrible. And, and the name fits. Yeah, I, thought it was just, I, I wanted to think of an original name. Yeah, it's creepy. It can make your skin crawl. Seriously, crawl. Seriously. <laughs> right. But it fits. Right. So mm-hmm. Joel doesn't have to go to the Army, but his brother does. Mm-hmm. But what happens mm-hmm. when Clancy comes back? He's, like, really changed. Mm-hmm. He's not the same person as he was before. Right. And, um, yeah, Joel didn't have to go. Joel didn't want to go, and that was not a popular opinion at the time. You know, that's not something you'd want yeah. to admit, but he just didn't want to. And I think there's par- probably plenty of people that didn't really have that desire. And so, But he did get drafted, and luckily he had, luckily for him, he had a, uh, you know, a ruptured eardrum, and that kept him out of the Army, so he didn't have to go. Um, but Clancy did. Mm-hmm. Clancy wanted to go and went. And he he did come back, but um, yeah, he came back uh, a different person. 
And um, I originally yeah. had some scenes, you know, that kind of during the war and because Clancy was captured in the POW for a while. And I had some scenes in there that my editor cut because she felt they were kind of out of place in the overall narrative. So there's just a few scenes. But, yeah, you definitely know when he gets back that he's experienced some trauma and that he's not the Clancy that, that left. The one that came back is very different. Yeah, I know. Well, PTSD does change somebody. They make them a whole different person. And mm-hmm. that makes it hard yeah. for everybody to deal with. So right, and we, forget, we, we mm-hmm. go ahead, go ahead. Uh, so we, you know, we know um, as far as PTSD, um, he's got, you know, we know he's got it. He comes back with erratic actions and uh, personality change. He's got night terrors, triggers, like something like eating rice reminds him of his time as a prisoner. And we see he starts to drink heavily, which is something I, I made a point of showing before the Clancy avoided because the father had an alcohol problem, Clancy didn't want to do that, so he avoided drinking altogether. Well, now he's drinking and he's on edge, and things that matter to him don't anymore. He's struggling with depression. So, yeah, we definitely see a different Clancy when he returns. Well, before I forget, tomorrow, two days Mm -hmm. in a row, I can't believe this, I'm going to do a special panel show with Charles Salzberg, Tom Walsh, Dick Belsky, Derek McGowan, and and Davin Goodwin, and we're going to talk about voice. People that write mm-hmm. in first person. We're going to talk about how your character comes through, how you write in first voice, and do, is there any dialogue or conversation, or do you just write and in first mm-hmm. person dialogue? And there's no. I write in first person. I can't do. I can't deal with quotation marks and stuff like that. And I'm a reading and <laughs> writing specialist. I ju- I just write whatever. Mm-hmm. So, right. how does his father handle it? And what about Lane and Bertie? How does his her parents, Lorraine's parents, handle things in a different way than his than um, Clancy's father does? Right. It's, it's um, you know, whenever he comes back, and I think that um, Clancy's father is kind of oblivious to. I think Joel tries to make a comment like, you know, we don't need to be yeah. giving him any more alcohol. We don't need to. And he's like, oh, he's he's d- earned his drink. You know, he's. He's, he's a man, and what he's fine. He can do what he wants. And then I think um, Lorraine's parents, they, they live with Clancy for a time, and they see the changes, and, and they take it more seriously. I think they were kind of ahead of their time. Bertie makes a comment about trying to find him help, and um, that was, you know, that was not a common thing that they did back then was try to find help. It was, you know... They didn't know much about it, so I think that that they saw they saw the seriousness, they saw the deterioration of him, and and Clancy's father just you know thought, well, yeah, he's been to war, he's earned his drink, and it's gonna take some time, he'll bounce back. So. I know he didn't quite see it the way it is. A lot of people right. don't see it the way it is. Alcohol is True. dangerous, and and mm-hmm. yeah, I'll just have one, but then you wind up having a hundred and one, and that's even worse. Mm-hmm. So when things go back to 1941, we meet Lyle. Why does he have it out for mm-hmm. Joel and Clancy? I don't like him either. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, Lyle was, you know, without giving too much away, he has a conversation with the boys that that actually, you know, changes the whole course of their lives. Lyle is a, yeah. you know, him and his brother are the town drunks and just kind of tr- troublemakers, and everybody knows about them. But um, but yeah, the, it's it's this confrontation with with the boys that, that really sets everything in motion and changes their lives forever. So that that is so I didn't like him at all. Sorry. 
This is a turning point <laughs> well, you for events. To. <laughs> I, I don't like a lot of people. What can I say? Yeah, that's this good. That's good. That means I wrote them right. <laughs> how did you create Joel and Clancy and Lorraine? Um, sort of well, it's, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil too much. But when I began the story, no. you know, I knew the end in mind. I knew that um, the brothers, and after you know, you know, we know that that Tom is murdered. That's why why um, Joel is in prison at the beginning. So I knew that they would have some tough decisions to make after that, after Tom's murder. And I felt like all along that the boys would be the ones that make the decision about what they're going to do and how they're going to cover it up, what they're going to do, and that Lorraine would just go along with whatever they decided. And so, but I also knew, being Lorraine, she would always wonder what if, wonder if she made the right decision or not. Well, Molly Molly wanted, he goes to the, how does he get to see them in the prison? How do they allow him in there? How did he get to see him? Mm-hmm. Because that, right. that, well, those um, scenes were interesting. I, I like those scenes. Yeah, I, I did some research on that as far as um, how you can, you know, visiting prisoners. And as long as the, the prisoner is okay with it, if, you know, they they can put you on a list. You can go through a process. And so that's what um, that's what Garrison did to see um, Joel in prison. Now, Molly had tried that before. She had commented. She tried to see him, but, but um, Joel wasn't interested in seeing her. So um, she never got to. And, um, but, you know, for some reason, something that Garrison said intrigued him. Or maybe it was the money he promised him. But for whatever reason, he did agree to let, let um, Garrison visit him. And, you know, he was in he was in prison for life. Um, so, you know, originally, you know, you can't, you can't apply for a contact visit or no contact visit. And I learned a little bit about that. And, um, of mm-hmm. course, after the first contact visit they had where it ended badly after that, all the rest of their visits were behind the glass. So, um, I just, like I said, I did some research into the prison. And, you know, by the end of my research, I was like, why didn't I just admit to prison? So I didn't have to, I could just make my own rules. But I try to follow, you know, <laughs> I did, since I used an actual prison, I tried to follow, you know, their regulations for visitation as best I could, what I could, from what I could gather. So, research wise. Well, I know you did, because I do research when people write books like that. I looked up, I look up mm-hmm. stuff too. But, yeah, Joel, I, just, I can't Joel, help that I got it. I got it. They seem to blend. I don't know. After a while, they. I think Joe looked forward to having him there. So how, mm-hmm. how did they, they seem so to too. connect? How did you create that? I mean, you got the feeling that he would have been disappointed if he didn't come and visit him. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, that Joel is a very, you know, in, as in the 1991 time, he's a very harsh man. He's a very hurt man. He's he's kind of almost scary and gruff. And, yeah, and I is. think that... Um, and I think a lot of it is, you know, kind of he's what he's had to become from being locked up. But I think, you know, deep down, he's, he's you know, he's the person he was that, that you know, that the reader knew. And I think that, um, I think Garrison kind of breaks down some walls. I think that, that Jill does yearn for relationships that he's lost with his brother and with Lorraine. And I think that he enjoys, in spite of him, in spite of, he doesn't want to enjoy it. He doesn't want to admit he enjoys it. But I think he does, and he, he senses, perhaps, that there is a family relationship. You know, I mean, Earl says, man, you look just like Clancy at that age. Well, maybe maybe Joel sees that, too, and, and senses he may actually, yeah, this kid actually may be my relative. And so that kind of makes him have a bond with him in spite of him being tough and not wanting that. They seem to get along. I know. It's scary. 
And yet Garrison mm-hmm. didn't seem afraid to go to the prison. He looked forward to going there, playing chess and yeah. whatever else they played. Right. Yeah, Garrison. He was. He, you know, he had every reason to not go back. You know, from that. I know. I was scared time, to go in there. Yeah, he was. He was just a determined character. That was one of his traits, and you know, he felt like, well, this is this is my last chance. And in in Garrison's mind, he was like, Joel is just a means to get to Clancy. He didn't anticipate having a relationship with Joel long term. He just thought, mm-hmm. hey, this guy can probably tell me where Clancy is, and that, you know that's all he was originally using him for. And I think eventually, you know, he started to care about him and care about his story, and, and just things things didn't add up. And so he, you know, and talking to Molly and looking at everything, yeah, I, I think he started to care and realize, hey, maybe maybe she's onto something. Maybe he doesn't need to be here. Maybe there's more to the story and more to this man than I know. I know, that's scary. But what about Molly and Garrison? He likes her, mm-hmm. didn't he? And she likes yeah, him. Yeah, I think he, yeah. I think that um, um, he liked her from the very start, and she liked him too. I think their first meeting, they had that connection. I think that he felt an obligation to Amber, because he was still dating her through their first several scenes with him together. So I feel like, um, you know, he was trying to, to push it away for that reason, but yeah, they definitely, they definitely had a connection and and they had a shared interest. But beyond that, I think they even without that, they just they would have liked each other and and got along well. It had you know, but unfortunately, you know, first Garrison is with Amber, and then once that ends, you know, there's another obstacle. Molly's in the hospital, so it was just things were kind of constantly in their way to the story where we didn't really get to see you know maybe a really go as far as some readers would have liked. Well, she had a heart attack, Molly, didn't she? She had a heart attack. Yeah, she had a, well, she had a heart problem, yeah. She had a heart murmur. And yeah. Yeah, she um, she had some problems with that. So she ended up in the hospital. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that kind of, that was after, you know, you know, Garrison was free to, to pursue a relationship with her, and then that happened. And then, of course, when she's in the hospital, things start, the plot really starts rolling. And, you know, so, yeah, they didn't get as much time together as, as you know, um, maybe get, they either one of them would have hoped, or the reader would have hoped. But I think I yeah. definitely, you know, left open the possibility for them for a sequel. Um, well, you know, I don't know about a sequel, but um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I've had that. But I mean, you know, originally when I wrote the story, I didn't put the epilogue in there. It wasn't. It just ended with the yeah, scene in the prison, which we'll talk about later. But um, you know, it was just. That was it. That was I didn't I didn't feel there that Garrison and Molly could be together after the discovery. I don't want to give anything away, but after the plot, mm-hmm. you know, you find out everything. I thought, well, there's just no way they could realistically be together after that. But then um, when my first editor read it, she was like, you know, people are readers are going to be upset about a couple things, but you know, like you have to leave. You have to either you know get them out of prison you have to let Garrison and Molly get together they they're invested in this whole story of them and then to find out that it can't work so i was really set on like why well, I don't i this is how i wanted to end but then the more i thought about it i thought you know what probably i could i could write an epilogue where i leave a hopeful ending for Garrison and Molly i didn't i didn't say like oh yeah they're together and happy but but definitely it left open a possibility so in the reader's mind after the story ends you know they can they can think you know I don't know that I'll write a sequel ever, you know, never say never, but, you know, I think it's important. A lot of people told me, like, that they really needed or wanted, you know, that relationship to work out. So I'm glad my editor saw that and told me so I didn't alienate a lot of people by just saying, oh, it's over, it can't work out. 
So. Well, he wound up. Because you know, staying there. He wound up getting a job and yeah. staying there. So that's sort right, of like gives right. you a hint that maybe. But he had to find himself too, because he was nowhere. He had to right, find a place right. for himself also. He didn't find yeah. anything. Yeah. Right, and he, you know, you know, the last scene, you know, he's in Alaska for summer, yeah, and um, she, she finds him, and you know, and she's, she's realized some things that he already knew that he was afraid to share with her, and so yeah, they're open to, to, to working through things, and you know, you know, as readers, we think the story goes on in our mind after the book's over, you know, um, my grandma, one of her favorite books was Gone with the Wind, and you know, when I was young, there was that out Scarlet that someone else wrote but it was a sequel to it and my grandma was like well you're going to have to read it before me and you tell me because I cannot bear to read it if Brett and Scarlet don't end up together because I just knew yeah. after I finished Gone with the Wind that she said she'd get him back so I just knew that after the book was over she did get him back and if I find out that didn't happen I can't stand it and you know so it's just that's just how we are we think about the book after and we think well they, it'll work out for them because she said that and so you know it doesn't end when the story ends. And so I think it's important that, that I left that open for, for them to have a possible future together. And in my mind, I think, I think they did. <laughs> well, everybody, everybody's going to create their own ending to the book. So if right. you ask people to write in how they think the book could end, you probably get a whole bunch of people that would give you different thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then exactly. it was sort of, it was, that's scary. So the other thing that I found interesting were the wind chimes. What is the inf- significance of the wind? I love wind chimes. They're so beautiful. I do, too. I love them, too, and they remind me of my grandparents' house because they always had them up. And I just had them um, for that last that last scene in the epilogue. I, I, I was just working on, you know, there being a storm, and mm-hmm. I needed something for Garrison and Molly to kind of to, to do while they're talking. And so I thought of the wind chimes, and I thought um, it would be a perfect symbol because also wind chimes, some people actually use wind chimes to scare birds away because they don't want yeah. birds around. Well, of course. You know, these brothers wouldn't want birds around. And, of course, you know, um, you know, Garrison is at Alaska at their home. And, and so, yeah, I thought that was uh, symbolic that he would have those there. And then when the, when the storm knocks them down and, and um, Garrison and Molly are going to go and entangle them, and Garrison thinks, you know, maybe maybe if the truth can come out and maybe that he wouldn't, he wouldn't mind us taking these down. And, and instead of hearing this in the morning, hearing the birds singing, you know, maybe the, what haunted him would be put to rest, you know, if they can, because they found out the truth now and it leaves the possibility that maybe they can go and, and you know, get the other brother out of prison. And I think it was symbolic of of the fear of birds, but also when it comes down, the, the possibility of maybe we don't need them up anymore, maybe we don't need to be afraid of the birds anymore, maybe we can listen to them speaking in the morning, so... Well, that was also a very powerful, sad scene, but we won't say why, so that she becomes aware of something and she tells him she tells him something also. But what I really like is because I'm a piano player and a violin player, mm-hmm. I love the fact that you compared the wind chimes almost like to music, to a symphony. So you sort of mm-hmm. heard different kinds mm-hmm. of different kinds of beats, different mm-hmm. kinds of sounds. So I was trying to close my eyes and say, Well, what am I listening to? I hope it wasn't twelve tone uh-huh. music because I can't stand twelve tone music. I said, well, maybe it was one of the one of Beethoven's or Bach or something with a loud that has yeah. a loud movement. Uh huh. Oh God, that's, I'm that's glad that you know that resonated with you. That's really neat. That's me. <laughs> you never know what I'm going to come up with. <laughs> well, hey, so, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something I never thought about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this is this is I don't know. 
this ending is quite compelling. How did you create the final prison scene? I, I there was okay. a box of tissues there. There's a box. Oh of yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad because there was there was one for me too when I was writing it, and I always knew the story would yeah. end that way. Like I said, the epilogue came later. That was originally like this was going to be my last scene from the start. I knew, and it was even though I knew it was coming the whole time, it was extremely, extremely emotional for me to write. And I cried a lot writing it and trying to put myself in the place of these characters. Um, yeah, it was, I, you know, when I, it wasn't, I wasn't ever planning for it to be a happy ending. I knew it was that kind of, that yeah. scene anyway was kind of tragic. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was tough because anytime you think about just the, the, the whole thought of revisiting um, a lost love is emotional um, mm-hmm. Going to see someone that, That's that been haunting you But you haven't been able to see is emotional The 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 problem You know the, the feelings That Lorraine would be feeling How torn she would be visiting Yeah it was just it was all emotional And, and hard to ride but like I said It was my plan my plan from the start So I I, had, I thought about it I, I kind of knew you know Where it was going so I kind of worked towards that Because I knew that you know the whole time um, Joel is saying, you know, that he wants to see Lorraine, and so that I, yeah, I, I eventually get find her and, and bring her there, and that it would be a definitely a bittersweet thing because you know you've missed so much, you know mm-hmm. you, you've missed so much of each other's lives, and there's things are totally different now, but you still got this connection, and you're you've just been haunted by this person, and and to finally see them, and then of course you don't get to see them in, in the privacy of your home. I mean, you're in a prison visiting room. You know, it's just it's very not what you would want or expect or hope for it. But nonetheless, it's going to be a pivotal pivotal scene for the book for sure. It's been in the character's life. Well, there's a lot of twists to an ending. Which you read the ending, people, you're yeah. not going to believe it. That's all I'm going to tell yeah, you. It was, yeah. So, yeah, it was. What is next to you, there. and where can everybody get this book? And I'm so annoyed okay, that um, my, my my cleaning service misplaced it because I had like five thousand hands up, and I have it on my <laughs> phone now. So if I want to, what can I say? Uh, I'll probably find it eventually. Yeah, That's okay. I'm sure it'll turn up. That's just yeah, um, I, I was I'm reading writing... part of it. So where do we find you? Where, what's next? Okay, um, for as far as what's next, I'm working on a on a second book. It's not a sequel. It's Enemies of Doves. It's called A River of Crows. Like I mentioned earlier, I. I'm going with the crow motif this time, and it's about a sister who's trying to solve a mystery of what happened to her brother who disappeared when they were children. And I'm I'm just in the first draft stage of it, but it's going it's going really well, and and I I'm excited about you know where it's where it's going to end up, and I I think it's good that I feel like I'm a much better writer now, and I hope I'm a better writer with every book, and so I honestly feel like this one is better than Enemies of Does, and I hope readers will think that as well. Um, um, and I'll, uh, you know, I'll definitely keep everyone posted on when it's going to come out. The best way to to find to follow me would be I have an author Facebook page. You just look for Shanessa mm-hmm. Bloom Author. I also have a website. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I'm old. But I'm learning Twitter and Instagram, but so I'm there. <laughs> so I'm, you can contact me there. But you know, I'm pretty new to it. I love to connect with readers in any way I can. So um, please, yeah, reach out to me. And as far as getting the book, um, Amazon has it, um, Barnes & Noble, and I'm working on as well getting it into some smaller bookstores, so definitely check your local bookstore as well to see if they carry it. And if not, you can always request them to carry it, or library as well. I know that's hard to get it. I tried to get my first, my couple of books in the library, and they said, they're, they're mm-hmm. horrible up here where I am. Oh, the library journal needs to do whatever. 
I said, but I've got mm-hmm. 17 five-star reviews and a whole bunch of four-stars from New York Times authors that read my books, and they wouldn't do it. So I said, yeah, no, it's oh, well. such a process. I had no, yeah, no idea. It's, just, it's such a. It's hard to break into the writing world. It's hard to to get yeah. into the bookstores, the libraries. I mean, you just you have no idea. Like you know, you're a writer, but like you don't realize that when you publish a book, you also become like your job is marketing. You know, it's like you yeah. market more than you write, and it's difficult. Yeah, and you, there's just so much to learn. Even when you have a great book and a great story, man, that doesn't mean people are going to read it. You gotta gotta get out there and. Got to talk and knock down doors and, you know, get it in bookstores and libraries and, and get it word out on social media. And, of course, you know, mine released in March, which was, like, right at the beginning of our pandemic, you know. So, I mean, this, yeah, that I know. was great timing. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't, I still haven't done signings or, you know, everything was canceled. And so everything's just kind of been digital and, and like, you know. So I really appreciate you having me and everyone who has had me so I can get, get word out about it because it's not easy right now during this time we're in to... There's no book tours. There's no, there's no both setting up in Barnes well, and Noble with people. that's why you do the virtual book tour with Partners in Crime. I do mine also with them because that's how they mm-hmm. get. They help you get your book out. But I, all, oh, all yeah. I know is that that's, I'm, I'm very popular now. If I, I was popular mm-hmm. before. This week alone, I've got 25 publishers that said they're sending me books to review. For some reason, that's they're not doing it. And my show is booked till the end of October so far. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I'm so I know. Glad I got like, in. holy go And... And I got an email from a uh, publicist that I haven't heard from that said that Ted Bell wants an interview with me in August. I go, holy God, I wouldn't turn <laughs> that one down. I was like, yeah, oh, my clear God, that I, guess, schedule. I get New York Times authors, but this guy found out about me, and I was like, oh, my God, poor me. But, yeah. So I was glad I got your book first because there's a bunch of – there are 20 on my chair. And oh, I'm doing goodness. the ones I'm doing for, I'm doing the ones for September <laughs> that I have to do for blog tours because I know I didn't get the ones for August yet. But this this is this wow. book is really great and people need to read it. And I found out you know I learned something from Robert Dagoni. Um, he says wherever he goes, I keep a whole bunch of books in my bag. So when I pass by people, I said, "Would you like one?" I give them out. Ah, I do. Great and idea. I, I, I went to my ENT analogy doctor the other day, and I brought the girls some more books, and I give them away my books. Um, I also give, I also bring my, you know, my children's books. I give them to the kids in the building. Um, my new book is coming out. Be watch out, Cheryl. It's going to come out soon. I hope next month. It's called What If. What if you awesome. lived in one of the I'll worlds that I cru- It's scary. It's like Twilight Zone. <laughs> It's a, what ah, if you live okay. in one of the worlds that I created? Would everybody realize how blessed you are to live in the one that you're in right now? Um, ah. I read, I read this, I read it over the other day. I go, you really wrote that? Oh my God! Well, people <laughs> have been reading it. I don't know what they think. I don't really care what they think. I think it's really different. So this one's called What If. The next one's going to be called What's Next, and the last one's going to be called Whatever. You just don't know That's what I'm going to do. That's great. I wish you a lot of luck with it. I'll definitely have to check those out. I'm going to need some luck with something. But this book is great. If you haven't read Enemies of Doves, I don't know what you're waiting for. But thank you so much. This has been great. Everybody have a great day. The sun is shining. It's beautiful outside. Have a nice day, and bye. Thanks. Bye, friends.